Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh shall come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 65, which along with Psalm 64 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, October the 31st, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. So uh, happy Reformation Day to you. Uh, It's the day that Luther, Martin Luther, um, nailed the theses, T-H-E-S-E-S, on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral calling for a debate about certain questions of theology, particularly those that were then being espoused by the Roman Catholic Church. And so the, the Reformation more or less began today with Hitler, or Hitler, Luther, <laughs> firing the first shot. So today we're continuing in the book of Ecclesiasticus, uh, chapter 38, verses 24 to 34, in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 to 59, and in the book of the Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. So what we're going to see is, is, is that, that there are some people, in this Ecclesiasticus passage, what we're going to see is there are some people who call to do certain kinds of things, and those things are noble, they're useful, and in fact, they're necessary. And then th- there's a higher call on, on other people it is kind of the implication of this. So the wisdom of the scribe, the one who interprets the law, depends on the opportunities of leisure. Only the one who has little business can become wise. Now, it, he's not, the rest of this argument here it is not going to be based in denigrating other professions. No, that's, that's not what this is. It's saying that some people, though, have to be set aside um, for a particular work, and their, and their work is the interpretation of the law. And so they need to be set aside. We need to have some people who are set aside. This is the, the Jewish understanding. We need to have, and it's the same in Christianity, who, who are set aside to do um, just work with the Word of God. It's the same principle that the disciples, cum apostles, used in, uh, when they decided we need deacons to decide certain questions that, are, um, that, that preoccupy the—it can take too much of our time to decide how to distribute the food among the widows and the orphans. And so they said, let's set up deacons for that. And so that's essentially the argument here. So how can one become wise who handles the plow and who glories in the shaft of a, a goad, who drives oxen and is occupied with their work and whose talk is about bulls? He sets his heart on plowing furrows, and he's careful about fodder for the heifers. And so, see, it's important to do these things, and and everybody's role in the community is important. Um, but the the scribe needs to be set apart from the other work. He says, so it is with every artisan and master artisan who labors by day as well as by night, by well as by day. Those who cut the signets of seals, each is diligent in making a great variety. They set their heart on painting a lifelike image, and they're careful to finish their work. So it is with the smith sitting by the anvil, intent on his ironwork. The breath of the fire melts his flesh, and he struggles with the heat of the furnace. The sound of the hammer deafens his ears, and his eyes are on the pattern of the object. He sets his heart on finishing his handiwork, and he's careful to complete its decoration. So it is with the potter sitting at his work and turning the wheel with his feet. He's always deeply concerned over his products, and he produces them in quantity. 
He molds the clay with his arm and makes it pliable with his feet. He sets his heart to finish the glazing, and he takes care in firing the kiln. All these rely on their hands and are all skillful in their own work. Without them, no city can be inhabited, and where they live, they will not go hungry. Yet they're not sought out for the counsel of the people, nor they attain eminence in the public assembly. They don't sit in the judge's seat, nor do they understand the decisions of the courts. They cannot expound discipline or judgment, and they're not found among the rulers. But they maintain the fabric of the world, and their concern is for the exercise of their trade. How different the one who devotes himself to the study of the law of the Most High. So those scribes, those who have devoted themselves to the study of the law of the Most High, are set apart, and they're different from these people. These people are necessary to do the things that they do. And he says they do it well, they do it with care, they do it with concern. They're striving for a perfection in the work that they do. And the work that they do is important and, in fact, necessary for society to flourish. But they're not going to be sought out for these other things because they don't have the time to devote themselves to the understanding of the law of the Most High. So what we need is judges, it says, who do have the time to do that. So it's it, it's not that these things are less important, but what it is saying is, is that they understand the things that they do because they're fixated on those things. However, what the world needs, what the people need, are people who understand the law and who understand the times and how to interpret things. And Jesus is going to speak about that in the same way in the gospel. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Now, Now, what does he mean by that? Did he come in judgment? Yes, in some ways he did. Ultimately, it will. And so when he casts fire on the earth, he preaches the gospel, makes claims about himself that have to be accepted or rejected. And, and that will become division, ultimately. And that's the fire that comes on the earth is it's going to create the division. And this is what he's going to say in just a second. He said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. What is this baptism that he speaks of? It's the same thing he speaks of when he said, can you drink the cup that I drink, when he asked James and John that. No, his baptism is he's already been baptized. We know that. John baptized him. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He means baptized into death. That's the baptism. And he said, I'm in distress until that's accomplished. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there'll be five divided, three against two and two against three. They'll be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, we've certainly seen that in the last two years in, in, in many families, including my own. Um, there have been division, not over Jesus necessarily, but there have been division over the whole idea of how we handle COVID and how we react to COVID. And, and there need not be in that instance, but, but maybe that division is preparing us to, to, to really draw the line and to say, you know, that, that your opinion about Jesus is all that ultimately matters. Are we, if we were willing to be divided from family and friends over our COVID attitudes and thoughts, then how much more should we of faith be willing to be divided from others in order to show the truth, in order to show that this means everything to me? Are we willing to allow that division in the same way we were willing to allow division over COVID? 
And it's important that we answer that question, that we, that we make, because COVID became the central thing in society. Are we willing in our own lives to make Jesus the central thing, no matter what it means as far as our interpersonal relationships and our family are concerned? Are we willing to allow him to be the dividing line in the same way we were willing to allow COVID to be the dividing line? He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there'll be scorching heat, <clears throat> and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present times? How are you missing the reality that I, the Messiah, stand before you today offering life? You're misinterpreting that. You, you can interpret the signs, you know, about rain and all that kind of stuff, but you lack the wisdom necessary to interpret this. And, and there's a huge truth in that. And it goes back to that Ecclesiasticus passage that, that there's no reason that we who have been given the Spirit of God can't also be wise with respect to understanding the times through the lens of Scripture. It's not that we're intended to be those who, who understand everything around us, no, but we have the access to the ability to understand the things around us. How do we understand the times in such a way that we stay apart from the lies? How do we do that? How do we get on the right side of everything? And I don't need a secular humanist to tell me what the right side of history is. I know what the right side of history is. It's on God's side, (laughs) period, end of sentence. It's as simple as that. So I don't need somebody to tell me I need to be on the right side of history. No, I just want to be on God's side. And it matters that we're on God's side, and it matters eternally that we're on God's side. And so we do need to be able to interpret the times. And I'm not talking about your response to COVID here, but we need to be able to see into what we're being told in in all kinds of ways we need to see that you know we need to be wise as far as all right so what's the who is the source of information and and now let's learn a little bit about that person and and okay can i trust that person or does that person have an obvious agenda for the things that they're saying and what is that agenda uh Okay, now your story begins to unravel a little bit because I see you have a vested interest in the outcome that you're pushing me toward. So we've got to be wise about that in interpreting the times. He says, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? In other words, you're, you're outsourcing your judgment for what's right to other people. Why, are you, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hands you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you've paid the very last penny. He says, do you want strict justice? If you want strict justice, if that's what you're seeking, then it's probably not going to go very well for you. And that's a really significant thing for Jesus to say, because the reality is, is that that when we stand before a holy God, none of us can say, I have constantly and completely loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loved my neighbor as myself. I couldn't possibly say that, you know, along the way I've given people money from time to time, but, but have I tried to ensure that they have the same standard and level of living that I do? Um, the answer is no. Have I provided the care for other people that I would want to be given to me? It, it's, 
it's always the question that comes before us to say, all right, can I be accused of something? Can I be accused of wrongdoing? And can I settle this thing somewhere along the way? And, and so when we see Jesus, what we know is my debt has been paid. I've failed and my debt has been paid. My debt was paid at the cross in the baptism of Jesus. And then therefore I share in his baptism where I die to sin and rise to life in him. We can all have the wisdom and more that the scribes had because we have a source of wisdom that's not um, given to all of them, and that is the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. And, and that's not just truth about Scripture, I don't think. I really don't believe that. I believe that it has to do with understanding the times. I believe that, that if we seek the wisdom of God on things— if we honestly do, and if we're willing to listen to people who, who, who we trust, who differ from us, if we're willing to listen to them and then, and then listen to the Holy Spirit, then I believe that we would be better at discerning the times. And, and, it, and what we're going to see in the Revelation passage is the necessity of discerning the times. And if we believe that time is short, hell is hot, and the stakes are high, then then we do need to be able to discern the times. And here in this Revelation passage, what we're going to see is, is that it can come down to life or death. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, that's Jesus, and with him 144,000 who had his name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And that's always been the way God's voice sounded. Ezekiel described the, the voice of God as the voice of many waters. And then in, um, at, at the Exodus at Mount Sinai, as well as in times when, when the voice from heaven came and spoke to Jesus, it sounded like thunder. So this is a familiar image for the voice of God. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It's these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. There's just not a condemnation of, um, of those who are not virgins. It's these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. This is his retinue. It, these have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they're blameless. Doesn't mean that they're perfectly righteous. That's not the same thing. And how do we know that? Well, because we know that there was only one in heaven and on earth or under the earth who was worthy to take the scroll from the one seated on the throne. So blameless can't mean perfect righteousness. It means they were blameless in some respects, but it can't be perfect righteousness because they're not found worthy. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. This is for all people everywhere at all times. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water." And, and the problem is, so often, we fear not just him, we fear other things, and we allow the fear of other things, other people, whatever, to overwhelm us and overcome us, and we bow to them. And when we do, we're worshiping. Whenever we give them control in that way, then we're worshiping whatever it is we're giving control to. 
Another angel, a second, followed, or saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Well, if you could characterize American society by one thing today, it would probably be sexual immorality, because we've lost our minds. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable where we've gone in just the last, say, 25, 30 years. There's no telling what comes next. I mean, we are already seeing a push to normalize and to, to make acceptable all these conversations with small children about sexual issues and to talk about their sexual identity with children. Well, the next thing is, you know, actually consummating that. And me being told that I need to accept that and get on board with it. I've been told that again and again and again, and then I'm judgmental. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, and I'm doing that because I care enough about you to bring that to your attention. That, yes, you may desire these things, but the reality is you're not supposed to do that. That that leads down a bad road. And we've seen that again and again for the the in the plagues, essentially, that come from it. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on its forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Now, I'm going to go back to that, about this whole idea of worshiping the beast. And the comment I made a couple of minutes ago, which is that whatever we choose to fear becomes the thing that we actually worship. If we give up fear of God for fear of man, and that's exactly what happens here in the, in the quote, worship of the beast, what's happened here is, is that, that it is accepted to counterfeit Christ, it's accepted to counterfeit God, and then it accepted the mark on the forehead and the hand for one simple reason. They were told that unless you have those things, you won't be able to buy or eat. God offers you to come buy wine and meat without price. Now, do we believe God is able to provide. And so when they come and they take this mark, they do it for fear. And, and fear becomes worship. Whatever we fear, we essentially are worshiping because we're bowing down to it and we're giving it power and control over our lives. And so that's the, that's the point here is, is that worship can mean all kinds of things. It can mean that we serve this thing. That's the other uh, translation of the Hebrew word for worship is, is serve. And, and that's exactly what's happened here. People have served the beast. And how did they serve it? Well, they, they served it by bowing down to it and allowing it to have control over their lives, losing their faith in the living God to provide in a time when you're told you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast. Well, if you bow down to that, then it's not going to go well for you. Always remember that the only, only fear we're to have is the one who has the power over the soul and its eternal destiny. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And what that endurance means is, is that in spite of tribulation, in spite of um, fear, 
you're, you're to overcome fear with faith. And you're, you're to remember who it is you trust. Remember that he is the creator of all things. He's the judge of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Can we trust in him? Important question. It's the important question. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, said the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So blessed are the dead. That sounds very much like something Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, actually. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. What does that mean? It means they made the wise decision to trust God even unto death, rather than accept the mark of the beast. And, I, and I'm not comparing the COVID shot with the mark of the beast, by the way. It has nothing to do with that. I, th- please don't hear that at all. That was not part of my rant. It didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with what do we fear and what does that fear cause us to do? Those are two different things. And, and, and when we start fearing something more than we fear God, and, if we, and one way to tell that is, are we willing to allow division based on our fear? Or are we willing to allow that division based on our testimony of Jesus?